Thank you for listening to this episode of Liberation. I'm your host, LaCroix Hatcher, and Liberation presents Bobby Ross Jr. Bobby is an award-winning writer of 30-plus years and editor-in-chief of the Christian Chronicle. In this episode, Bobby and I will discuss his progression from being writer to editor and the significance of the Christian Chronicle and how it brings worldwide issues to light for the church. Please enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a, another great show for you. Um, this evening we have uh, Bobby Ross Jr. Um, he is a Oklahoma SPJ Award winner, Associated Press Award winner. Do I got that correct, Mr. Ross? Yes, sir. All right. And also an Evangelical Press Association Award winner. Um, he has in the past written for the Oklahoman. Uh, the AP, and he's currently the editor-in-chief for the Christian Chronicle. He's also associated with a, a host of other uh, periodicals, websites, you name it. Again, I have Mr. Bobby Ross Jr. How are you, sir? I'm good. I, I, I really appreciate you inviting me to come talk to you. Oh, I appreciate you more. I mean, I'm, I'm new at this uh, and just hoping to provide... Uh, background on different people's stories let people know they aren't the only ones in their positions whether it's just from spiritual um things that they're going through or just career-wise and hoping they just find some type of inspiration from some of the people that we talk to oh great okay so so i understand you are somewhat of a john madden type person john madden yes (laughs) And, and i say that because from what i have researched about you you are not the type of person that will jump on a airplane i don't enjoy it but i have flown a lot of places because i i like i i guess to me the on the ground reporting is important enough that i i do get on the plane when i have to i just i just don't enjoy it so i've yeah I've, i've flown all over not recently since the pandemic hit it i guess march was about the last time i flew but hopefully i will pray some more and get on a plane again and don't cover a story <laughs> sometime. So how long have you uh, been a writer? I started, well, I've been a professional journalist for 30 years. So I, I've been full time for, started at small newspapers here in Oklahoma and then worked for the Oklahoman, which is the newspaper here in Oklahoma City, and then I worked in Dallas and Nashville at the Associated Press for about three years combined, uh-huh. and I've been at the Christian Chronicle for 15 years now, so for about half my career at the in kind of faith-based journalism. Okay. Now, have you always been in a faith-based, faith-based realm, or it kind of graduated? No, no. I did the first 15 years or so in secular journalism i did kind of after about 10 years i was the religion editor at the oklahoma and so i did start covering religion news and then when i worked for the associated press i covered politics and covered religion and anything that blew up but i guess 1999 was when i really started getting into religion writing Mm -hmm. the oklahoma and i was a state reporter there you know pretty much covering murders and court cases Uh and whatever else happened all over the state and the editors kind of picked me and said the religion editor can't go to st louis to cover the pope and (laughs) 
So this Church of Christ guy got sent to St. Louis to write about Pope John Paul II coming to to St. Louis. I really learned a lot because I didn't know much about the Catholic Church at all until then. And mm-hmm. kind of from there, I realized that even with my own strong faith and my own background in Churches of Christ, I could go and write about other people's faith in a in a respectful way, in a way that I could learn about where they were coming from, even though in most cases we obviously had a lot of different views and different beliefs on things. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of, I've been doing religion, I guess, 20 years now. And with the Chronicle, in the, in the 15 years I've been at the Chronicle, I've been blessed to, to travel to all 50 states and 15 countries to report on just various news and, and ministries and things happening in Churches of Christ. So it's, it's been a real blessing. And, and you know what? It, it, I don't know how many people may have mentioned it, but I know speaking for myself, it's been uh, truly a blessing to come across it. And I initially came across your work uh, when I first latched onto Twitter some six years ago or something like that. Uh-huh. And, you know, my initial intent with Twitter is to actually do more um, research on religion and, you know, to see what the other churches are doing throughout the United States or, you know, globally. Uh And I was actually surprised by how many results of Churches of Christ came up. And one of the first things I remember popping up was the Christian Chronicle. And it led me to reading different things and seeing different viewpoints and uh, exploring different things that, you know, I just had no idea what was going on throughout the brotherhood. And there's one particular thing which we'll get into, um, which okay. really, really shaped me, especially the last two years. Uh, so you mentioned that you were a writer for the Oklahoma and you also were a writer for the Associated Press, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Why yes, sir. Um, are you? What made you leave those posts uh, with those papers? Well, I, I'm I'm originally well. My dad was a it was a, in the Air Force and he was a preacher. So as a kid, I I lived all over. But then when I graduated high school in '86, I wanted to attend a Christian university, so I ended up at Oklahoma Christian here in Oklahoma City, and my I, I met my wife there, and we lived here. I guess 12 years before we moved to Nashville in 02. So I, I guess we kind of built up, you know, this kind of became home to us over all those years. And so when I had an opportunity to leave the Oklahoma and go work for AP, I, I was in Nashville for about a little less than a year and then ended up in Dallas for a couple of years. And kind of, I, I think what happened was the, 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 person who was the CEO of the Christian Chronicle was looking for someone to come fill a journalist position there. So he came and, and invited my wife and I to wife and me to lunch and basically made the pitch of, you know, come use your talents from the Lord. We'd like to give you our big pay cut and and have you come work for the Lord. And 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 honestly it was we were kind of missing Oklahoma, so it was a chance to kind of get back home, but it was also a chance to kind of take my what I had my skills and what I had done all my life and, and, and go use it more directly for the Lord, mm. for the church. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I ended up doing. 
And I think there was also probably a part of me at that time, I had been in secular journalism for 15 years. And I thought, you know, I am tired of covering murders. I'm tired of covering death and disaster and, and all this stuff. Let's go do some, let's go do some positive church news. <laughs> and then I got to the Chronicle May, by August, I was in New Orleans in the middle of Hurricane Katrina and realizing wow. you're going to get a lot of disaster on this new job, too. So I think it's just <laughs> the nature of life is, right. is I haven't really cut back on the death and destruction like I like I thought I would. But it has it has been a blessing to get to kind of report on Christians kind of in a lot of cases in the middle of, you know, the most traumatic things they're ever going to deal with and in in. And, and be able to talk to them and understand where they're coming from, from a, you know, a, a fellow Christian's perspective. I think you the other story you mentioned, though, sometimes we still do have to come at things from more of a adversarial position than not adversarial so much, but more of a, not all the stories we report at the Christian Chronicle are stories that people want us to report. We We believe Christian journalism is shining a light and telling the truth. And sometimes that's going to be stories that people don't necessarily want us to report, but that we feel like we have a, that like we have an obligation and a calling to report. And I think I've rambled so much. I don't remember (laughs) what your previous question was, but that's kind of, I think it was how I ended up at the Chronicle. That was how I ended up there. You know what? I'm going to circle back to two things you just said. Um, Not, wanting you know congregations or um the bodies of christ in general i'm not wanting you to report on certain things and i what i have felt about you know my short time reading the christian chronicle over the years is it takes on a shepherding approach because sometimes as shepherds no matter where the church is no matter what city no matter what country it's the shepherd's position to take care of the flock, good or bad. You have to be unadulterated with God's truth no matter what. And it shouldn't uh-huh. come down to a political-like atmosphere where you, you're keeping things hushed, and that's not necessarily the right approach. Right, um, right. And two things now. Um, as a writer, when you were talking about covering murders, and this might be a silly question, but... In your role, did you often have to go to uh, crime, active crime scenes, or, the, or were they generally after the fact? It would vary. It would be generally. It would be some of it would be, and I, I guess it would just vary from you know as far as you know. Especially when I was working at AP, we would be covering. When I was in Nashville, we would cover anything that happened in Tennessee, and in, in Dallas, it was Texas. So. Like I covered a, sh- a courthouse shooting in East Texas when I was in Dallas, and that would take you two or three hours to get from Dallas to Tyler, Texas. So that would be, you know, there'd pretty much be police tape up, and the the scene would be uh, kind of controlled by the time you got there. You know, uh, then other times, not murders, but you know, with with natural disasters like tornadoes or corn or or hurricanes or that kind of thing you know would you would obviously be in the middle of a situation i'm trying to think yeah murder wise i mean sometimes you're at the scene but usually 
the police are there. There's police. I don't think I've ever been to a murder scene where I got there before the police. I mean, there's usually there's always police tape there. If I mean, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not. No, no, no. Because I, I mean, I was just thinking that you know, again, I imagine you probably don't get there before the police, but um, I'm just wondering, you know, having to go to crime scenes and, and unfortunately maybe, you know, uh, a corpse is there. Um, whatever case may be, and this is something you may have to stumble across, and I can just imagine how um, how shaken it can be initially, you know, early on in your career. So I didn't know if that was anything that you may have come across. Yeah, I think there's so much as a journalist, you you tend to, I think there's a certain adrenaline rush that goes to covering a story, and you don't really let yourself maybe maybe this not not that this is good or bad but you know at least for me personally i would have a real hard you know i would try to separate myself and my job from from the emotional uh-huh. side of it you know i think of like the oklahoma city bombing ha- uh, happened in 95 and killed 168 people or so and i i was working at the oklahoma then and got off you know heard the boom and we saw the smoke and started and started, you know, just driving toward that. We were seven or eight miles because they had moved the the Oklahoman building was a little bit of a at the edge of the suburbs instead of downtown. But, but I covered that various aspects of that for a few years. And in the first time I cried, which is weird, I didn't cry during any of the coverage. I didn't cry covering the first anniversary, but I was sitting at home watching the second anniversary on tv and it was the the, i guess the first big milestone that i hadn't covered in person or hadn't had to be a journalist at and that was that was the first time i had cried and i think it was because that was the first time i was just seeing it from the perspective of a human being and not seeing it from the perspective of a journalist who Mm. needs to be in control and do his job so i think in in general that's that's how I have dealt with it, but I think also, you know, maybe after, you know, I mentioned 15 years and I was ready to get to some of the, out, get away from some of it. I think after that many years, it probably does start piling on top of itself. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, I think there are even things that happen now where like a school shooting or a church shooting where it's not like I'm going and you know, we had a church shooting in Fort Worth in last December. It's not like I'm going and starting fresh and this is the first traumatic thing I've covered. It's almost like you've got that past PTSD and suddenly mm. you're, you're stacking another one on top of it. But still, I mean, you're, you're, you're I feel privileged as a journalist to, to be in the middle of a situation like that and to be able to, to be compassionate and be respectful and tell and help tell somebody's story. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably what keeps me going is is trying to, you know, and also I've had cases where certain editors would kind of push you, you know, you need to talk to the victim's family and get a quote from them. And I've been at this too long now to where I'm not going to just try to go do a quick phone call or do or, or infringe on somebody's sacred personal space just to get a quote Mm -hmm. if i want to tell somebody's story and it's important enough i'm gonna make sure i have time to take the time they need and want to talk and that i have time to process it and i'm in in that i'm not just infringing on them and saying hey i know you just lost the most important person in your life but i've got a deadline in 10 minutes can you give me a quote about them and 
you know, I've had a few cases in my career where I probably was in a situation where I was younger and I had editors pushing me and I had situations that I regret, regret those kind of interviews. Fortunately, I've been at it long enough now and I'm the boss now that I don't have to, <laughs> to do some of that kind of stuff that, you know, there may have been more pressure to do in the past. Uh, that's amazing. And you mentioned a, a PTSD type effect. Um, so I imagine that gives you, you know, especially when you're wrestling, um, when you have this faith-based side of you, um, I can imagine what kind of nightmares or whatever that may stir up, um, throughout different points of your life. So, um, yeah, and I, I haven't, I've been blessed that I haven't had, well, I guess probably clinical PTSD or, you know, I haven't had any nightmares. It's for me, it's more of just, a like a depressed feeling, like, are we really, you know, is somebody really gone to a church and shot people again? Or has there really been a, another school shooting? And it's almost more like, you know, people will be posting on social media, this is so traumatic, and, you know, I'm, I'm shook to my very foundation over this. And, and I appreciate people that are, but, you know, in some cases, I'm like, I'm not even shocked anymore. We've seen so much of this kind of thing in some wow. cases that it's like, it's just one more thing. I think that you have to, at least one way I've dealt with some things as a journalist is, is to emotionally detach myself from it. Cause if I let, if I let everything that I, especially covering news on a national level, if I let every tragedy that happens affect me personally, I would probably spend all my time, in some state of depression or, or being sad. And you just, I don't think you can do that. And I kind of, um, the more I kind of understood your role and the more you speak, I kind of, um, look at the things that you have to do. And I look at it more of a, um, let's just say like the, uh, for example, the priest that put together the Septuagint, you know, you have to live through these things, but at the same time, you have to document it. And it's because yeah. of the, the scribes of the, whether it's the um, Old or New Testament, that had to, even though some of these things I'm sure were heartbreaking, they're seeing their people, you know, be slaughtered, all these different things. And you, But you still have to write about it and, you know, write through the pain. And that, that's what I find that very, uh, very interesting. Um, so as your career progressed, uh, at what point, because it seemed like your work became, I'm sure it was demanding, but it seems like your work became in demand. Um, at what point in your career did you start seeing this transition where people really love your work and really want you to work for them? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've been blessed that I've never had I've never taken a new job without already you know I've had 30 straight years of working in journalism which is that's given incredible. all the things that journalism has gone through and the death of print in a lot of cases that's kind of you know fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel I feel blessed to still be doing you know what I love after 30 years uh -huh. I, I think that the Chronicle, you know, when I worked at other places, I don't think there was the, con you know, people liked what I did at those other papers. But I think the Chronicle just has such a personal connection to people because it's your brothers and 
sisters in Christ and in churches of Christ are such a close knit community and people, you know, I have a column that runs on page three of the, of the print edition every month. And people, you know, I tell a lot of personal things there that I think people hopefully connect with. So the, the last, the last story I did where I traveled was last March when I went and covered the tornadoes in, in Cookville, Tennessee, where, you know, went through and wiped out a bunch of houses and killed several people, including several members of Churches of Christ. Yeah. And, and I'm always a little leery or not sure how I'm going to be, you know, what it's going to be like when I get to the church or get to the disaster site and say, hey, I'm Bobby Ross with the Christian Chronicle. I'd like to talk to you and do a story. But I guess the blessing I've had in recent years is usually when I show up with a notebook, they, now nowadays people have seen my face in the paper like, hey, that's Bobby. So you know, I'm, I got <laughs> to one tornado scene in Cookville and the, immediately the elder has me in his truck driving me around and taking me to see all the people whose houses got blown away. And it's wow. like, instead of me having to beg for somebody to tell me what happened, I immediately have this guy who knows exactly who I am and, and takes me around and kind of, you know, that's a nice feeling, a nice connection to have. And it, it, it's something that I wouldn't have if I, you know, if I was covering that same tornado and I was still working for the Associated Press. I mean, I could still make some connections with people, but it would take a little more mm-hmm. finesse and a little more kind of building people's trust. Whereas in some ways people, you get there and if they know they know who I am. They are, I've already built up a certain level of trust before I've even met them. So you are a celebrity amongst the body of Christ. <laughs> yeah, my kids <laughs> say I'm a Church of Christ celebrity. I don't know if that means that positive or negative. <laughs> All right, so here, here here's a uh, question that might be difficult. Um, okay. Within and you kind of mentioned some things that kind of hint around to it, maybe. Uh, within your work um, with the companies, um, have there been any organization or maybe even churches that have tried to compromise your work? Have tried to compromise my work. For for instance, there have no. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. No. Maybe. Um. Okay. For instance, well, and we'll come to the Jimmy Hinton story. Okay. Have you had situations where something so egregious has happened and they've tried to find ways to circumvent your work, whether through the congregation or some type of threat upon you? Have any of those things happened to you? No, I don't know that I've, I don't think I've had threats against me with the Chronicle, I have, you know, there's, there have been people, well, you know, unless you count saying I'm bound for hell as a, as a threat, but, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, there have been people, you know, you know, how dare the Christian Chronicle want to report on something that's negative. You, Mm. You know, this is, you're, you're, you're putting, you're putting God's church in a bad light. You shouldn't do this and you've got it all wrong. You know, so there's, you know, I think there, you know, in general, there's, there's certain there negativity toward, you know, we get into the sexual abuse, some of those stories where so there's a, there's a idea that this person asked for forgiveness. So we should hide this and not, not report on this because he, he repented and it's over. Mm-hmm. 
or there are, you know, the hardest thing that I've, that I've encountered in the last, it seems like it's really been intense in the last few years is just the whole, the country is divided politically. And in a lot of ways, the church seems to be divided politically. So we had the, 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 case where George Floyd was killed by the police in, in Minneapolis last May 25th. We did a lot of coverage about racial questions in Churches of Christ, and a lot of people really appreciated it, and a lot of a lot of readers thought it was great that we were shining a light on some of the concerns, but a lot of people really got angry that we were even daring to, to, to ask some of the questions we were asking, and, and it got real it just got real political and we, we we've had some you know political you know the, the the presidential campaign you've got people on the left and the right that that have gotten so accustomed to following news that just tells them what they want to hear uh-huh. that somebody who tries to report at it you know from a middle ground of this is what so and so says this is what somebody else says that there's that we get into some stress on those kind of things because how dare you, how dare you quote a Trump supporter in a positive light? How dare you quote a Biden supporter in a positive light? So we, I'm trying to, you know, so sexual abuse cases, we've had some feedback, the racial issues, the political issues. Those are just some of the ones where I can, you know, there has been stress and, and you, you wonder sometimes, you know, our goal is to just shine a light and report the news that needs to be reported. But wow. I'd be I'd be lying if I didn't say there aren't certain stories where we go. Is is this story really worth what it wor- worth the ruckus that it's going to cause, uh-huh. regard you know on whatever side? Uh-huh. And, and and it almost reminds me of um, and I, and I know this is kind of out of context, but it's when Paul instructed Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season. Um, Paul in Acts 20, you know, I'm not shunned to declare the whole council. And sometimes these things are going to make you uncomfortable. Um, whether it's your work, whether it's an evangelist's work to, to preach the gospel, it's meant, the gospel in and to itself is meant to shake you to your core. Um, you know, even when it talks about cutting down to the bone marrow and all these different descriptions, I, it just amazes me. And it's just, and it's not just a church crisis, it's a religious community thing in general, that the things that they're worried about will hurt them most. They won't talk about, but in the long run, it hurts them even more than with the truth is supposed to hurt. Because at the end of the day, a lie is going to do more damage than the truth ever will. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's astonishing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Had, yeah, if we are people of truth, we should not be afraid of the truth, should we? Amen. That's it. Uh, have any of your encounters, because um, you, you mentioned you're, 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 you're encountering whether it's just a court situation where families are being ripped apart, murder, what you name it. Have any of the things that you've seen shaken your faith at all? No, I don't think 
I don't think. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think That's good. I think I've got a pretty good awareness that Christians are fallible people and that nobody's perfect. So I don't I don't think seeing hypocritical situations or seeing churches that aren't perfect, I don't think that that doesn't shake my faith. I mean, I think I probably encounter a lot more faith affirming or faith building people like Jimmy Hinton than I do those that make me wonder you know, yeah, I don't think I have anything that's shaken my faith so much as frustrated and you know me what? personally. I, I probably should have qualified a little bit more, um, whether it's prior to the Christian Chronicle, whether it was your secular work or anything like that before you latched onto the Christian Chronicle. Did anything in that outer realm affect you also? Or did, at, my faith, same answer. Faith-wise? Yeah. Um, no, I can't think of anything that, I mean, That's good. I think for any, I mean, I'm a normal person, faith, you know, I struggle with various things and mm-hmm. faith is always, you know, it's always a journey, but I don't think anything that's happened career-wise has caused me to say, you know, I'm not going to go to church on Sunday because <laughs> my faith, you know, I don't, I don't think that's, that I've had anything like that happen. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh so fast forward, I think you mentioned that your, you said your father was an evangelist, correct? Yeah, preacher. Okay. So I imagine that was your introduction to the church. Yeah, I was, and my dad was in the Air Force. I was born in at the Laredo Air Force Base that they used to have in, in Texas on the Mexican border. And he, Dad was actually at church on a Sunday night. Mom didn't go because she was about to have me, and she called him at church on Sunday night and went home, and he took her to the hospital, and I was born, and probably within two weeks, I was in church as a, <laughs> as a baby and have been in the Church of Christ ever since. <laughs> okay. Okay, so you currently uh, have the post with the Edmonton, Edmonton Church of Christ, is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, you're currently a deacon there. So, how um, have you always been at that congregation, or is um, have you switched from somewhere else? I, when I was in college at Oklahoma Christian, we, the, all the you know, every semester, kids tended to gravitate to various tr- area churches. Sometimes, mm-hmm. depending on who was the most interesting college minister speaker. But mm-hmm. we've, I think, my wife and I placed membership in 1991 there and then we were there until 02 when we left to leave for nashville and then when we came back in 2005 we placed membership there again so 11 15 what is that 26 years total or something so we've been there quite a number of years okay and um how rewarding is the work of a deacon i mean you guys are often the the unsung heroes if you will (laughs) Yeah, I'm a communications deacon, which means I help with some of the, you know, news releases for local media and help with some of the, I guess, writing stories for the, for the bulletin and, and that kind of thing. Mm, okay. um, honestly, I, I, some, I'm, I'm, I'm gone from, you know, especially, well, when COVID is when I'm not, I've been stuck at home forever. My wife has autoimmune diseases, so I haven't been back to church in person. But when we are, when I am 
able to go to church. I'm gone about half the time traveling for the Chronicle and busy with Chronicle work. So, I mean, it's a lot of times I feel like I'm not doing enough for doing what I should do, but I do try to help as, as much as I can. But so I think it's rewarding to an extent, but also I'm always wondering whether I'm doing enough mm. because I'm, I'm gone so much and have, you know, various responsibilities with the Chronicle that sometimes takes me away. Mm. Okay. Um, you really getting deep with me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, look, I can't hear, I can't be here to waste your time. I got to make it worth your while. <laughs> uh, so, and you said you've been home. So how has the pandemic affected your congregation? Well, they are, they are they back to congregating? Yeah, I think they've been back for several months. You know, like I said, because of my wife's health situation, I watched the, I watched the the live streaming on Sundays. Okay, they're they're doing people. I think it's socially distanced and mm-hmm. people wearing masks. the The tagline that they use is is show grace, give space. Basically, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> basically, kind of, you know, wear a mask and don't sh- hug or shake anybody's hands or that kind of thing. Right. And I think they've, you know, it's a during this when when Oklahoma Christians in session, it tends, you know, it's typically twelve hundred people at two services on Sunday. Wow. And I think they've, I think right right now they're at one service and maybe two hundred people scattered across that big auditorium. So. Wow. I think a lot of people are still being, you know, especially the older people and the and the at-risk people like my wife being careful and aren't back in person. And I think a lot of churches are like that where they, they, they even the ones that are having in person, the, the, the attendance is still down quite a bit from from what it was pre-pandemic. And I guess the big question is, is this going to, after the pandemic is over, are people going to come back or is this really going to? hurt things afterwards and i don't i don't know i mean i've heard various people say various things and personally i kind of think it's a we're going to have to wait and see mm-hmm. is you know people want to read a lot into it but i think if, if if they were to flip the switch today and say no mask you can go out do whatever you want to do i wouldn't be surprised that attendance at most churches would be right back where it was before Really? I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I mean, I know a lot of the experts are saying people are getting used to not going to church and mm-hmm. it's going to be a it's going to be a long, hard rebound. But I guess we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I'm quite curious to see how that's going to find out. I mean, how that's yeah. going to shake out. Um, yeah. So Christian Chronicle, I'm trying to go full circle. You started there 2000. Five. 2005 yes sir okay uh how did that work out did they did they pursue this hot shot writer or was this something that they had a post open and you shot your shot for it um they had a writer who i think was leaving after about 15 years and so he, they they came and 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 wanted me and kind of put me into that position and and hired I was hired as managing editor mm. and then I, after a few years I became the chief correspondent 
and then I've been editor in chief has been my title for about the last year and a half or so. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, how much of a, how much of an honor is it? Do you, if you feel that way, is it, um, considering they've been in existence for, was it 1943? I believe I read. Um, yeah. Good, good. Good memory. Yeah, 1943. So what is that? 77, 78 years? It's too long for my peon brain to start <laughs> adding. <laughs> uh, is it an honor to be there? I think so. I think it's an honor. I think, I think that there was a time in Churches of Christ when they, they had the kind of, they, you know, since Churches of Christ are autonomous and we don't have a denominational hierarchy that you know there, there was the phrase editor hyphen bishop and editors were kind of had a lot of power in churches of christ and would write things and people would my understanding is what they wrote would almost kind of be like the apostle paul writing something and huh. it, you know it had a lot of power in churches of christ and and i don't i don't think that's the way things are anymore and i'm and i'm glad they're i think I think we're in a situation now where 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 there's so much technology and it's so easy mm-hmm. for people to communicate that we've you know journalism in general has lost the gatekeeper mm-hmm. function used to you know your daily paper would show up or your your 30 minutes of CBS evening news at night and they would basically pick what what was news and what people would talk about because they were the only venues to, to get that information out mm-hmm. And there's probably to some extent Christian publications were like that too, where it was almost like a gatekeeping function. And and I could, we could sit in a room in Oklahoma city and this is news and this is what you're going to talk about because, because we control the flow of information. Well, now we've got social media. We've got anybody who wants a podcast can start a podcast. Anybody who wants to, to start a blog can do a blog for uh-huh. free. I mean, so there's so many different things that we don't control the flow of information. Uh-huh. So if I'm, I'm rambling, but I'm trying to remember what the question was. The question was, <laughs> do I consider it an honor? I do consider it an honor. And I, and I really, I, I can, I feel blessed to be able to work at the Chronicle and to do kind of what I consider a dream job. But I do think the function of it, it's, I don't look at it as like an honorable position so much as this is this is a you know we're journalists and we're doing a job and okay. and this is this is our this is where we are able to do that job. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your role as editor in chief, how does that differ from your other position? Let's just say with the AP, Oklahoma. How, what makes that different as editor in chief? I well, I'm the buck stops with me as far as the news side of what happens with the Chronicle. Okay, I mean, I'm blessed to have a CEO and president, Eric Trigestad, who's a journalist, which is a great thing for the Chronicle because I don't know that we've ever had like our head person be from the journalism realm, so he really understands journalism and what we're trying to do and is really supportive of it. Uh But at the same time, his role is, you know, the Chronicle, I guess the way things are divvied up responsibility-wise, the news side, the editorial side stops with me. So, which is a great, you know, for someone who's been in journalism 30 years, it's great to 
to not have to go ask someone's permission before you decide this, we're going to do this story or we're going to do this editorial or we're going to cover something in a certain way. I mean, it's, it's, it's both a responsibility and also, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the word it's, it's a, it's, there's times, I guess there's times when you wish, Hey, I wish there was somebody, the buck stopped with somebody else. Cause <laughs> this is kind of, you know, this decision's not going to make everybody happy, but it's, you know, from a journalist perspective, it's great to be able to just have a blank page and be mm. able to use your experience and your, what you think would make a great story and a great newspaper and be able to kind of be the one that kind of, kind of says, Hey, I want to write the story myself or mm. you, this person here on our staff would be great to write this or, we have a freelance writer who might write this. So I kind of, the Chronicle, you know, in most publications, the editor would not be someone who's active in writing too, but we're, we're small enough organization that, that I write and edit. So it's kind of the, both the best of both worlds that I get to kind of help shape overall coverage, but also still be involved in, in the, in the writing and that side of it. So that's kind of, you know, at AP in the Oklahoma, and I had you know several editors and people above me that I would report to, and in the on the new in the newsroom, and 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 now I'm the kind of the top person in a in a very small pond mm-hmm. as far as the number of people in our staff. But it, that, that's kind of how it's different. Okay, so you helped stir the direction of the ship. That's good. That's good. Yes, sir. Um, in your work with the Chronicle, um. What have you seen that is what has been the biggest divide when it comes to ethnicities? I hate using black church, white church, but it sort of is what it is. Uh, So when you have, like you said, issues with George Floyd or the nation has had issues with situations like George Floyd. um, But. In general, what has been the biggest divide, whether it's a congregation that's mixed, if you will, or when you have done reporting to on reporting with a predominantly African-American church and as opposed to our counterparts, what do you see is the biggest divide? I think that obvious, you know, this, you know, and I hate to make generalizations, too, but in general, most of our white churches would be concert leaning would lean conservative politically, and most of the black churches would probably you know would would lean conservative on some on some social issues like like abortion and and, and gay marriage, but in general would lean more progressive politically. I mean, I think most of our white churches would be voting for Trump, and most of our black churches would be voting. For Biden, mm-hmm. that's on a political side. On a theological side, I think, I think the white churches would there would probably be a bigger percentage of, of theologically progressive churches. Where I think the black churches, I know there's some, and see, part of the problem is I don't know the the black churches well enough to to make assumptions. But mm-hmm. my, it seems like maybe they're still lean a little more conservative. You know, I say conservative, I hate labels, but more preaching one church, one baptism would invitation song at every service, Mm 
come forward and be baptized for your sins, whereas it may be more the white churches may be preaching some similar to that, but maybe not have an invitation at every service or maybe on some of the issues, you know, maybe not be, you know, instrumental music, women's roles. My sense is that in general, the, there are more white churches of Christ that have grappled with those issues than on the, on the, on the black side. Mm-hmm. But I could be wrong. I mean, like I said, I, 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 I mean, you're only speaking from I feel your like experience. There's, say that again. I say you're only speaking from your own experience, so that's fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I've, yeah, I mean, that, those are some things. I feel like, you know, I've been at this 15 years with the Chronicle, and we've tried to make inroads with the black churches, and I feel like we've, we've had some success. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like that, you know, there were a few black Christians that I feel like I really get below the surface with. And Mm -hmm. I feel like there were some that I'm still, you know, we're friendly, but maybe not friends in Mm -hmm. that they don't know what to think of me. And in some cases, I don't know what to think of them, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes plenty of sense. I think we had, you know, with the George Floyd coverage, we did this past year. I think a lot of black Christians appreciated the fact that we were willing to report on that and mm. have some conversations about that. So I think that was that was helpful. And it was interesting because the fact that we had to do it on Zoom because of the pandemic, mm. it almost like we had like eight to ten faces on a screen sometimes that we people that we probably would not have thought to get all together before Zoom or before video conferencing that we kind of were able to have some some conversations with that way Uh, in in my experience i think um you know more so like you said the struggle has been not so much um but definitely labels but more so than that has been and i'll broad stroke i guess for the african-american community is to be heard and to be understood and to not have uh-huh. the situation judged based on someone's past or um, what they may perceive, as opposed to, like I said, understand the situation. And I think that has been the struggle. I remember a few years back, and and you know I mentioned Twitter earlier. I had uh, built a relationship with Jack Wilkie, somewhat of Focus Press, and. I I want to say this was when either Tamir Rice was murdered or um, Mike Brown. But he was trying to craft certain things and he asked for my opinion um, that he could use in one of his articles. And, you know, I kind of gave him some background as to what we may be feeling, what we're going through. As a as a, a teenager, I have been involved in some uh, not necessarily police brutality, but definitely um, mis misjudgments, if you will. And uh-huh. and the officers were there were African American, and there's been some Caucasian ones. I've I've been on both sides of those fences, and he asked me for my opinion, and he put it as part of his article that he wrote for Focus Press. And, you know, 
him being an African-American male, I mean, Caucasian male, he was surprised at the amount of pushback that he gets from, you know, people of like manner. And the problem, you know, and, and where uh, Al Broad stroke again for the uh, typical African-American person is uh, to simply be understood about the situation. Like, yeah, this guy may have sold drugs. He may have done X, Y, and Z. But in that moment, could it have been handled better? Right. And right. and trying to explain that away is the problem. And I, you, you made that great Jake, a joke about um, grace, this, that, and the third. And it's, I understand some people put themselves in predicaments where, you know what, the officer absolutely has to go there. But there's times where it's like, Okay, we see on the news, we've seen enough episodes of cops, and no matter what their color is, where people just go berserk, out of control, but they're still alive to go see their family and do the, go through the um, due process. And, the, you know, we have often been trying to beat our heads against the wall, like, hey, there's, there's ways to do this. There's ways to do this better. Forget about what's going on in certain parts of our communities, this, that, and the third. But when it comes to those that are here to uphold the law, it can be handled differently because we've witnessed it handled differently. It's all across the TV screens that we know it can be handled differently. And when our counterparts get so upset about it, it's, it's, it's almost offensive in it. And it can undo some of the unity that we've been building and it rewinds time back to pre Martin Luther King. It's just like, well, what yeah. do, what really do you think of us? If <laughs> yeah, so yeah, well, and I, it sounds like you're talking about I've, what I've encountered was in in those in the police brutality cases is white Christians who a lot of times will immediately latch on to if the person has a criminal record or mm -hmm. was in a in a place they shouldn't have been immediately say, well. He, he's a bad guy, so the, you know why should I care about this? Then what you're saying is maybe we're not dealing with a perfect human being, but it's still we're dealing with a human life and dealing with you know thinking about with George Floyd. There was a there was a white preacher here in Oklahoma, in the Oklahoma City area who got up and you know preached about the petty theft gang bang banger and kind of pretty much, you know, disparaged George Floyd and mm -hmm. you're crying, you know, black people are crying crocodile tears over his death, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. Don't they care yeah. about abortion and that kind of thing? And and mm -hmm. there was one of the one of the black women, black female Christians that I interviewed kind of took, you know, explained why that was such an offensive thing right. to her. It's like, you know, her thing was this black petty theft gangbanger, as you call him, has done more to bring attention to justice issues than my fellow white Christians who can't even bring themselves to say the phrase black lives matter. Mm. And, and, you know, I thought, um, there's two things that I thought would help change the narrative. Um, first was Tamir Rice and that's near and dear to me cause that's right here in Cleveland. Uh -huh. And, you know, my son, my youngest son, would have been close to his age. I believe Tamir was somewhere between 12 and 14 when it happened. Little kids play with toy guns. Okay, it looked... It looked like a real gun. Okay. But you see a 
you know, a police car run up on a adolescent, and especially at such close proximity, by the time they jumped out the car, they never gave the kid a chance to say, drop the gun or, or whatever the case may be, where you, you know, typically a police officer dropped a gun or else. And even on camera, it's clear that the little kid never stood a chance. They opened fire as soon as they got out of the car. And then what the, I thought that would bring a certain level of sensitivity. It didn't. Now for the religious community, I thought the Botham Jean thing would definitely change the narrative. And I think it has to a certain degree. Uh-huh. But there's no way in the world he deserved that to happen to him. And unfortunately, and then when you look at Breonna Taylor, like these things happen. We get barged on, I won't say we, but I've known cases where police officers barge in and if you don't do X, Y, and Z, there's hell to pay the captain. And we struggle with it when we can sit on and watch, um, you name the channel, where, like you said, a guy can talk about a gangbanger, but we also see heroin addicts, meth addicts that have just lost it in that moment. And police officers are it seems to me are much more graceful with their opportunities of surrendering, letting them surrender. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. It, it's a one hitter quitter for us in a lot of cases. And that's not broad stroking police, but it's happened enough where there's a, a, a rep, repetition and it's becoming a reputation. Uh, so, it, and, it, and it leaves us in, as, especially as brothers and sisters in Christ, it seems like, okay, we're fighting the battle on our own. We know technically in the Bible we're supposed to look past color, but the fact of the matter is the person that looks different from me doesn't have my back, and they should at least, even if they don't have my back, they should at least try to understand, put a a warm arm around our shoulder and say, hey, I may not get it, but we'll try to get through this together. It seems like we're fighting an uphill battle on our own. So, enough about that. Uh, Has your writing or... Uh, any of your colleagues' writings with the Christian Chronicle, do you feel like it's had a impact on dialogue? Now, this is regarding uh, issues such as this, um, and spe- p- particularly pedophilia in the church, and this is where we get to the Jimmy Hinton thing. Uh, do you feel like it's created dialogue where our eyes need to be more open to these type of things? Because God be praised, I found out about Jimmy Hinton through the Christian Chronicle. And I've become an avid follower. I listen to his podcast. I've reached out to him. And I think it took tremendous amounts of courage to do the things that he did. And, and it seems like you were right there to cover it with him. Uh, do you feel like it's eye-opening to have these type of things arise? I think so. I think for for Christians who are for, are sincere and really wanting to do the right thing, I think having their eyes opened to what happened with with Jimmy's dad, who had so many years as a preacher and then was molesting children, including Jimmy's own sister, mm-hmm. and and went undetected. I think 
you know, Jimmy has a lot of great tips for how, you know, how to recognize a, a pedophile and that kind of thing. And, you know, as a result of, of what some of what we wrote about Jimmy and his situation, we were able to do a, a live kind of Christian Chronicle panel discussion at Harding University. So I think we were able to make a difference there and kind of help people, you know, shine some more light on that issue. I think on the, you know, back on the, the issue of, of, of racial justice, some of the, the YouTube zoom discussions that we did, I think were, you know, I heard from several white ministers who said, oh, I really appreciated what was said there. And, and I'm going to preach about this this Sunday or, or our church is going to get a group together and talk about some of some of the issues and concerns. My own congregation got a group together and started talking about some of these issues as a result of some of those discussions. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would claim direct credit for the Chronicle, but I know that the Chronicle videos and some of what we did were cited in, in, in talk, you know, as we talked about some of those issues and tried to see how, how our congregation specifically might do better in those issues. Okay. So I think, I think in both of those cases that hopefully we have been able to shine a light and bring some positive mm-hmm. change, if that's the word. That's good. Now, now we talked about things that often divide the church. Now, where have you seen that the Chronicle um, may have a, a positive impact on uniting the bodies of Christ? Yeah, I think the, one of the things that Churches of Christ do really well is disaster relief. If there's a tornado, if there's a hurricane, mm-hmm. our people are going to be giving money. They're going to be getting supplies together. They're going to be donating things. They're going to be right on the forefront of helping helping people rebuild. And so I think that's one area, Churches of Christ, we're, we're, we're divided on a lot of things, but when it comes to disaster relief and, and helping people in need in those situations, we do, we do a really great job with that. It's been my experience and there's, that, that would be one example. Okay. Okay. Um, as we get ready to wrap it up, um, what has been some of the most talked about topics uh, in 2020, excluding Trump, race, and COVID? What are some of the <laughs> what, what are hot topics for for this past year? Yeah, you're gonna really make me think. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> besides Trump, COVID, and race, race. Uh, you know, I'll be, you know, well, I started, to, I started to give one that would, would be COVID related. I think it's, that's a really, let me think back to, well, we have a Christian astronaut who, hmm. member of the Church of Christ that we wrote about in the last couple of months, who's on a six month mission to the International Space Station, uh, brother Victor Glover, who, hmm. who's Houston area Christian. And he, he did an interview with me, his wife, and he did about, being a Christian and being an astronaut and preparing to go into space and bringing his communion cups with him to, to worship in 250 miles above the earth's surface. So that was a, that was a good story. Let me, you know, I interviewed Josh, Josh Willingham's a former 
baseball hit slugger. He played for played for the Marlins, the Nationals, the Oakland Athletics, the Kansas City Royals, uh-huh. Minnesota Twins. I think where he had his best year. He, but I did an interview with him and his wife about some of the work they're doing to feed hungry children in his hometown of Florence, Alabama. So that was a that was a good story okay. this past year that had nothing to do with any of those other issues. That's good. That's good. Uh, that's a couple. I'm I'm str- It's 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 amazing how many stories that we've done the last year have been related to to either. Yeah something political, something pandemic related. And the, and the reason I ask is because personally I have turned away from the, uh, from news. Cause, uh, I, despite how anybody may feel about Trump, I'm tired of hearing the name Trump. <laughs> I've never wanted yeah. to run away from TV faster yeah. than this whole political atmosphere so this is been driving me crazy uh yeah objectivity how have you been able to maintain it all these years and and because and i, and I said it because um for instance when you're saying you were working with um different catholic groups and, and you name it um i'm sure it takes a level of okay forget about my opinion just cover the story yeah, I think objectivity has always been a hard word for me to define because I'm not sure exactly what it means or e- even if it's an attainable thing because I think all of us have our own backgrounds and, and we all have our opinions and we all have, we've all had different life experiences. So mm-hmm. to be totally objective, I don't know that that is possible, but I I strive for probably more strive for fairness and accuracy. I think I can be fair to everybody, even if I don't agree with them. And, and I think I can try to be accurate in what I report. It, 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 one, the hardest thing I've heard it said, you know, a, a national religion columnist named Terry Mattingly had, you know, he says the hardest thing to do in journalism is to report fairly and accurately on somebody you disagree with. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I try really hard when I write something mm-hmm. that the person who's going to be reading it will look at that and say, yeah, that's, that's what I said. That, 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 that quote is accurate. What they're saying about what I believe and what argument I make, this is, this is accurate. This is what I believe. It's so I, I I think journalists, if we would strive more to say, to be able to you know, you have to spend a certain amount of time getting some to know somebody and listening to them to really quote them in a way that they when they see what's said on the printed page, they said, yeah, that's what I meant. That's what I said, mm-hmm. as opposed to, wow, he really took me out of context or or he totally dropped the ball on, on what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a hard thing, but to me, that's kind of more than objectivity. Maybe fair, fair, be fair, be accurate, be mm-hmm. kind of reflect what the person was trying to say in an honest way, and not as opposed to saying, "I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm, I'm a journalist. I just report the facts." But for some reason, every time I report facts about this particular person or this particular political party 
it's amazing. It's always from a negative perspective instead of a neutral mm-hmm. perspective. So I think journalists, we, we need to strive harder to, which is really hard, especially when you, if it's a situation where you really do have a strong personal opinion or you really do think something is stupid. I think in those cases you have to try even harder to take yourself out of it and just say, this, these are the facts. This is, this is what this person says. And, you know, sometimes if you, if you quote somebody in their own words, you can, you can, and you think what they're saying is stupid. They will, they will kind of make the case for themselves, (laughs) but I don't know. That's kind of how I approach that issue. Okay. And now I notice even currently you still work with a bunch of different places. So how do you, how do you differentiate who gets what? Um, for instance, I, I noticed you had a, 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 just a post just today on get religion. Um, how, how do you judge? Okay. I'm putting this one from my website. This one goes to Christian Chronicle. This one goes to get religion and so forth. And so on. how do you, how do you differentiate that? Yeah, the Christian Chronicle, we cover Churches of Christ, so I pretty much Church of Christ-related material will always go to the Chronicle okay. first. You know, I, I would never scoop the Chronicle on something related to Churches of Christ, but, you know, some of what I write for other websites, like I do a weekly column for Religion Unplugged, which is religionunplugged.com, about just more general religion news and not necessarily church of christ specific and i just it's it's i get we talked earlier in the program that when that when i came to the chronicle i took a somewhat of a pay cut so one of the things i asked in that interview was if it's okay if i do some freelance work on the side and so i've been blessed to have the opportunity to earn a little extra money on the side through the years. And which is, you know, it's, you know, a lot of journalists kind of have it, they have an exclusivity agreement with their main employer. And I kind of have had that opportunity to be able to do some other work on the side when, when I want to, and when I have, when I have time, which has been, which has really been good for me because in some ways, if all I did was my chronicle work, I would be in a little bit of a Church of Christ bubble and maybe not have as wide a knowledge about certain things or right. certain issues that I kind of keeps me tied into some of the broader religious world that I might not be otherwise. Okay, that makes sense. So, um, how proud how proud have you been all your accomplishments thus far in your career? Oh, uh, I guess <laughs> I mean I. I've I've just enjoyed the opportunity. It's been, it's been good. I mean, I keep. It's one of those things where I keep wanting to write the perfect story, and I don't think I've gotten there yet. So mm-hmm. maybe this is the year. Yeah, you you've been you've been extremely blessed, brother. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, last question. So, what are you looking forward to for two thousand twenty one? Well, I am praying a lot, along with a lot of people that we will get past the pandemic and get back to more of, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not an anti, I, I wear my mask. I, I stay home. I, I try to stop the virus spread, but I really, I miss being able to just go to the store or go out to eat or, you know, and especially my job, I'm, I'm used to being on the road maybe once a month for a few days uh-huh. going somewhere. And it's really, you know, I think the stories that I, that are 
you know, we've been able to do a lot of good stuff online via Zoom or telephone, but I think you really get to know people and really get an inside story, a better story when you're able to go do it in person. So that's kind of what I'm really looking forward to is, is being able to do that and also being able to leave the house and not worry about getting a potentially deadly virus. <laughs> I mean, I know it's, you know, in most cases it's not deadly, but it's killed enough people that yeah. it's. Yeah. And then now they're talking about different strands of it. So, all right, I'm going to leave everyone with your post. So on a personal level, you can personal level, you can find Mr. Ross Jr. at Twitter at Bobby Ross, Instagram at Bobby Ross Jr. And that's Jr. Facebook, Bobby Ross, I believe it is. Uh, and on the web, Bobby Ross Jr. Dot com. Uh, for the Christian Chronicle on Twitter at C of C News. Uh, so all one word, C O F C News. Instagram, Christian Chronicle. Facebook, Christian Chronicle. And on the web, Christian Chronicle.org. Mr. Bobby Ross, you are released. I thank you for your time. And, um, I'll be in touch. Uh, I emailed you earlier, and um, I think I, I might have to pay you for some additional services, too, because um, there's a lot of stories that I would like to um, get out there, and I think just me being able to come across your work was the tip of the iceberg, so hopefully we can stay in touch. Sounds good. I've enjoyed talking to you. No problem. No problem. Appreciate tell, it. Tell your wife I'm sorry for taking so much of your time. I will. Thanks, brother. All right, have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for checking out this episode of Liberation. Subscribe to the show and follow Liberation on Twitter and Instagram at Liberation underscore pod. Liberation is sponsored by Doodlebugs by DaVita. Thoughtful handmade jewelry designs inspired by love, peace, and unity. Shop Doodlebugs at doodlebugsbydavita.square.site. And for the Etsy lovers, it's Doodlebugs by davita.etsy.com use the promo code liberation and get 10% off your order follow doodlebugs on twitter at doodlebugs for you that's doodlebugs the number four the letter u and instagram doodlebugs by davita